good to see you. Good to be with you uh, this morning. Wanted to uh, just take a second and hear from you what were some of your responses? What were some of the things that were passed on from one generation to the next? Some of the, maybe it's visual appearance things. Maybe it's something deeper than that. What are some things that were mentioned around here? High energy. High energy. Okay, that's good. That's good. What, what are some other things? Love of God. Love of God. All right, that's cool. Anything else? Oh, a tamale recipe? <laughs> Uh, all right, there we go. Pa- I don't mean pass down. I mean like genetics. Like what are what, what are what are some things? Like on Thursday, somebody said stunning good looks. We said it's up for debate, and uh, and so what, what are some other things? Other things, eye color. No, what, come on, come on, work with me a little bit. Lot, lots of ha- hairs, a, a specific one. Uh, I joke about that. In fact. Um, when I was uh, growing up, my grandfather on my uh, mom's side, he lost his hair in his early 20s. And my grandfather on my dad's side lost in his late teens. So I was, this, this was destiny. Like it was going this direction. Anything, anything else that you guys have? High cholesterol. Oh, I have that too. That's awesome. So some fun, fun things. What was another one that was mentioned? Mother's kindness. Well, that's a, a positive slant on it. That's fun, fun to think about things that were passed down, especially when they're positive things, non-cholesterol-related things. When, uh, but, but some of the things, the truth is, here's one that's universally passed down for every single one of us in the room. Are you guys ready for this? One of the things, and you can guess looking at the screen what this is, is a bent towards resisting authority. A bent towards resisting authority. Every single one of us have that passed on all the way back from the beginning. And I don't know what it is, how it rears its ugly head in your life. What is it for you that's actually the, the, the pushback, whether it's uh, when you see the lights in your rearview mirror? Does that, does that evoke some rebellion? Is it, is it maybe with a, a referee in sports? Anybody have that issue uh, maybe as you're dealing with the television? Uh, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a doctor's instructions that they've told you to do that you need to adjust in your life. Maybe it's the usher at church telling you where to sit. I don't know what evokes a rebellion or this bent to push back against authority, but if we're honest with ourselves, every single one of us has it. And sometimes, sometimes it sneaks out at the least opportune times, right? Sometimes it comes out and you're like, whoa, where did that ugliness come from? Our family, all right, here's confession time. Our family has issues with, with uh, lifeguards at the beach. Here's uh, the issue. Now, now, we go to the East Coast, and the East Coast is very different than California. At Malibu, you feel like the lifeguards are like legit saving lives, right? The East Coast is more like a big lake, and so they're managing swimmers. And so sometimes... In the crowded summer, they'll put flags that determine you have to swim within the flags. Well, there's a bent towards like uh, maybe just a couple steps outside of the flag. There's a lot less people to run into. I had a couple years ago where I, if I'm, if I'm being honest as a pastor, I, I had a little bit of an altercation with a, a young protector of the seas. You know, like I, I, uh, I had a, a little dialogue back and forth and it elevated. And afterwards, I'm asking myself, what's my issue? And my issue is this, authority issues, authority problems. We have a bent towards rebellion and it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. And it was introduced by the root of rebellion, the enemy himself, 
introduced this idea. And here's the idea. And the reason we have a bent towards or resisting authority is because in our depth of who we are, when we're in the flesh, we resist authority because there's something in us that thinks that we know better than God. We think we know better than God. That's the root issue. That's the reality. And this morning, we're presented with some different authority structures and how we're intended to respond to them. And you determine as you read through this section of scripture whether or not you resist in these topics. The first one's going to be government. The second one's as it relates to the workplace, and the third one in marriage. So uh, as I was reading this section, Chad uh, texted me earlier in the week, and he said, wow, this is quite the spicy meatball of a section. And so this is the spicy meatball that we're going to work through and see how we're doing with our authority issues. Let me pray before we dive in. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to come to your word as the ultimate authority, the source of truth, the source of direction. And so we ask now that you'd teach us that you'd do the work that only you can do in a room like this, where you nudge, where you prod, where you encourage, where you build up, where you correct. We ask that that happens in this room, that this message wouldn't be for the person down the row, but we would actually personalize it and look for what you're wanting to say to us in this topic of authority. We submit this time to you now in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So 1 Peter, uh, we're in chapter 2. It's helpful if we're all looking at this together. Verse 13 is where we're starting this morning. In the very first topic, I don't know if it's relevant or not, uh, government. Uh, you know, So we'll start there. Verse 13 says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution even lifeguards, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. We'll pause there for a little bit of, uh, of unpacking. A lot of times when you read scripture, there's a tendency for us to think to ourselves, oh, but you don't understand. If they had it like we had it now, they wouldn't be saying the things that they're saying. They don't understand how time has evolved and things have changed and the, the current government structure would be a, quite the challenge for this audience if they could live in it now. Here's the reality though, folks. Things were much worse then. Things were much worse then. They were under an emperor by the name of Nero. Nero found sport in actually throwing Christians to the lions, literal lions. They, they burned Christians at the stake. There was no government checks and balances. You had an emperor that reigned and ruled over everything without any term limits. There was basically, if someone was in charge, they would be in charge and most likely their children to follow. So for this person that's saying, well, they don't really get it, they had it worse, and yet still the instruction, what do you see that it tells us to do under that government authority? What, what, what are words that it says? It says, subject, to be subject to the emperor, to honor the emperor. 
What, what in the world? Why would it say that? Imagine the, the audience there was questioning, and these are young believers. They're wrestling through whether or not they oppose the government, whether or not they join some kind of a coup. But instead, it's saying to subject or submit to the government, to honor the emperor. Why would that be? You see, though, in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake, for it's the will of God in verse 15, it says that. Little background that I think helps with this is looking elsewhere in Scripture that describes our situation. Romans 13 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Basically, in summary, this is the reality. If someone's in authority, it's because God put them there. And they're in authority until God chooses to remove them from authority. God uses authority structures in man for different purposes. Often, a lot of times people are like, well, why would he allow for a really lousy king or emperor? Why would he allow for a leader? Here's what we see in scripture. When you study the Old Testament, New Testament, often God's known to give leaders as a consequence to the people. And they often, listen to this, reflect the sins of a nation. They often reflect the sins of a nation. So we have to see government as God's divinely ordained instrument, not something to oppose. It might be a tool that he's using to bring somebody to their knees to finally submit before Almighty God and his authority. It might be something that exposes who genuine true Christ followers are. Either way, we have to see it as a tool within the hands of a loving God. And it takes faith to look past the person and see a loving God with a plan. If you remember the study of uh, David, when you look at his life, he had Solomon literally chasing him and trying to kill him. But even when presented the opportunity to take him out, David said, no, I am not going to touch God's anointed or the Lord's anointed because he recognized this principle that we're talking about this morning. God chooses to put people in place. Sometimes we might like them. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't. In this section, you might be thinking as it relates to our current political climate, some people are like, amen, that's right. We do need to give a respect and authority to leadership. It's a lot easier to say that than if you're in the room and you're like, yeah, but I don't really like the leadership structure. Then this is a hard pill to swallow. What I've observed as a fairly young person, though, in the United States, sometimes you have government that's in place that you support, and sometimes you don't, right? Sometimes, and don't worry, the pendulum will likely swing. You'll get, a, you'll get a season where you're like, man, this is not what I wanted. But here's the encouraging thing. For us, in a, in a climate that we're in, there's options. Some people are like, well, what, do, what am I supposed to do if I don't like some of the things that are happening? What am I supposed to do? Well, here's a couple things. We're in a day and age where you can still be honoring and submit to authority, but still have a voice. 
We're, we're in a democratic system where you can actually show up and vote. Maybe that's a great starting point. Imagine if the church actually did that on this next election. So you have the option for that, for us to actually stand up, to be educated on different options that are out there, to vote your conscience, to look and seek the Lord, to make this a, a spiritual exercise rather than just an intellectual exercise. God, what do you want me to do? For us to show up and be active in lots of different arenas. Man, when the school board's having a, a meeting about the, the curriculum that's coming out, we should be there respectfully presenting a biblical perspective on these different topics. We have a voice. Use the voice. Write a letter. Get involved. There's lots of options within our present culture. This doesn't mean that you have to roll over and say, okay, I guess I'm not involved in politics. No, not at all. Just the opposite of that is true. But we're still overall called to respect those in authority over there over us. So if you're hoping to come to ABF and join John Irwin, Chad, and I in a revolt against the government, sorry to disappoint you. That's not the direction we're headed here as the body of Christ. We're intended, though, the opposite to come alongside. And here's the thing I love, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, what are we told to do? We're told to pray for those in authority. And we wouldn't be gathered here on a Sunday morning if we didn't believe that God can change somebody from the inside out. Does anybody know somebody that's been changed radically by God in their life? Do you believe that he can still do that in somebody's life? If there's somebody that you're wanting to see a change, man, just start committing to praying for our leadership, especially in our culture. Can you imagine whether you like or dislike Donald Trump? Can you imagine what his, his week, what his life looks like? Man, we should be on our knees lifting up that man in prayer for sure. So for us to submit to authority, and here's the other piece that you see in that same section. It says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. So honor is supposed to be part of this, this whole equation. I uh, like that it was brought up in a message that I listened to this last week by Andy Stanley, the reminder that the person next to you is more precious than your political view. The person next to you is more precious than your political view. So you might even find in the next five years, you have some different stances politically than you had right now. Our, our political view might, may shift and change and, 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 and uh, be fluid. But for us, the thing that lasts and the thing that matters is elevating people over your political view. Same thing in that uh, message by Andy Stanley. He quotes this. He says, your candidate will win or lose based on votes on a Tuesday in November. But the church wins or loses based on our behavior between now and then. Isn't that so true? What are we doing? Are we, are we tearing down or are we honoring each other? Can we have different political views and still love each other? Is that possible? I uh, noticed on Facebook that we maybe struggle a little bit with this. I saw this meme this week. It would be funny if it wasn't so true. Uh, what's Facebook, Dad? Facebook's a place where people go to lose friends over politics, son. It's a li li little too close to the truth where you see, but that's not what God's invited us to. He's it encouraged us to do just the opposite, to love the brotherhood and honor everyone. Honor everyone. And what this does, the effect of it, we're seeing that section, it puts to silence the ignorance of foolish people. 
We're to live as people who are free. Don't let your political views give you an excuse to operate in sin. He's like, you've been set free from, the, from sin. You can't move back to it just because you think you have the excuse of something related to politics. So my question for you, how would you say we're doing with this topic? How would you say, how would you grade ourselves? Would you say we're, we're knocking it out of the park or do you think there's some room for submission to push back against our natural flow towards rebellion. So here's the one last thought on this. And maybe this is a free takeaway. You can tuck this in your pocket for later if you already got this all figured out. It all is a lot easier if you don't place your hope in earthly kings. All of this is a lot easier when you don't place your hope in earthly kings. When you finally realize that you're just here on a temporary basis and you're not placing your hope in an earthly king, that makes it a lot easier whether you like the king that's currently in, the, in power or you don't like the king. It's also a lot easier to not put, put, get worked up and cause opposition and fighting and tension when you're like, you know what, it's great. I'm, I'm happy with this current king. I'm not happy with this current king. Either way, what I'm more concerned about is the king that's reigning all of this over all of this, the one that we'll give an account to one day. Last thoughts on that. You guys can all send me notes later this week. That's fine. Uh, verse 18, we'll continue. Another uh, spicy meatball, uh, the workplace. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. But what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it? You endure, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is, great, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." We'll stop there. Little uh, thoughts on that. Some of us might be reading that and you're like, masters, servants, like what's going on here? What's, the, what's, what's happening in that culture where this would be instruction? But basically under Roman rule, under Nero, it's interesting, I was doing a little research on this. In Rome, as they conquered nations, would take all able-bodied men and women and make them slaves under the empire. So it's about a 40% of the nation or of all, all of the Roman empire that would have fallen into this category of slaves. Can you imagine that? That would be in the state of California. That would be if there's 16 million slaves in the state of California based on those percentages. So in that culture, it was definitely deep-rooted, a deep-rooted system. This isn't Peter though, endorsing that. 
Be clear, elsewhere in the New Testament, it's very obvious that slavery was not endorsed. But either way, it was part of the culture. Sometimes slaves were mistreated really poorly. Sometimes people were slaves literally by choice, whether it was to free themselves from debt. But either way, we find in Scripture that in the New Testament that they don't focus on reforming and restructuring human systems. It always addresses the heart first always addresses the heart first because what happens is when the heart gets fixed, the system gets solved. When the heart gets fixed, the system gets solved. For us, that's a a teaching moment in and of itself because so often we want to oppose and modify people's behavior instead of address the only thing that really has lasting change, the heart. Where's the heart at? Here, he's pointing directly to that. He's saying, listen, even if it's not a good boss, this is where we apply it ourselves. Some of us, anybody, if you have a boss, that means in this equation, who would you be? The servant. You would be the servant in this equation. So the application present day is to submit to the authority that God's placed over you in the workplace. And does it, say, does it give any kind of caveat? You know, if only if you have a, a really good boss? No. Very countercultural, right? We're used to in the workplace trying to fight for our, our rights and what we deserve and uh, what we've earned and all of this. But he's saying, yeah, that's not really what we're about in the kingdom. In this upside down kingdom, we're about submitting to those in authority over us because who put them there? God put them there. He placed them there. That doesn't mean that you're called to stay in an abusive work situation, but it does mean, well, the period of time in which you're there. Why, when, whatever period of time that is, you're called to submit. You're called to submit. Too often, I think we're ready to shake our fists and run, run out instead of saying, you know what, while I'm here, I'm gonna be their very best choice, the very best hire they could have met, ever made. Not using it as an excuse because you have, and it goes into this example. Peter, what, who does he describe as an example for this? Jesus himself. He's saying he suffered He went through all kinds of miserable things. He says, I want you, even if it's a lousy boss, to still honor me in the workplace. How are we doing with this? I think it's a lot easier when you notice phrases that he uses here, subject as unto the Lord, do good and suffer for it. It's gracious, it says, in the sight of the Lord. It's kind of cool. So often when I dig into scripture, you start to realize how intimately involved God is with every facet of our life in the workplace. It's saying he notices how we do with this. He's, as he observes, he says, all right, that's good or that's bad. He, he elevates the things that are good. Here he notices how you operate in the workplace. I talked a couple of weeks ago about this uh, endeavor that I'm on uh, coaching this junior high basketball team. And uh, it's uh, been quite the adventure. And um, yeah, we have our, our last game uh, tomorrow. You can pray for us. Uh, we've got a, a lot of work still to do. Uh, but one of the things I notice each time we play, uh, when the kids, when they do anything right, and it's kind of few and far between. Uh, and so they, they, they do this. When they do something right, they always look over to the coach to see. And I always try as best as I can, if they've done anything praiseworthy, like anything at all, I mean, really anything. I try to be like, nice job running, 
You know, like good, here, here's the ultimate, good hustle, you know, like good, good hustle. That's the, that's the generic term to say, I don't know what else to praise, but, uh, but, but e- e- either way, what I love, I love is that their eyes always go back to the coach. Always go, they might flash over to a parent or somebody that maybe showed up, the two fans that we have that come, uh, and like the, the, they might flash an eye to that, but it's always, go, always eyes going back to the coach. I would love if that was our mentality in the workplace, instead of, oh, I wonder what this coworker's thinking. I wonder what this is, how this is played out. This doesn't seem fair. I'm heading straight to HR. Like, what, what if instead we kept our eyes going back to the coach, back to the coach, going, putting our eyes back to the coach, and he's the one that determines all of this. I love when it's describing how Jesus handled things. It says this simple statement. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You don't always have to be your own defense. Sometimes you can just turn it over and say, all right, God, I'm letting you be the judge on this. You solve this for me. You go before me. I'm just going to do my piece and doing what I know is right in this situation. All of this is the basically the picture of what we're describe or desire, what God desires for us to be is the best decision your boss has ever made. Last topic, another uh, big one, you know, just light stuff here this morning in the marriage, Ch- beginning of chapter three. We'll end with this. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that when, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart that the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayer may not be hindered. All right, so there's a fun uh, area to conclude with. Uh, uh, so here's a couple thoughts on this. So in uh, Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, we spent the entire message in both of those basically unpacking this principle of a biblical marriage of what it's supposed to be. If you would like an entire message on that topic, you can visit those online. I've taught those within both within the last couple of years. But here's what I want to point to is that it does reinforce the same principle that we see throughout. And this is the principle. Women are called to submit. Men are called to sacrifice. This reinforces, we're not called or asked or invited to improve on anything. We're not called to adjust or tweak this. This is God's design for marriage. And it works best, it works amazing if both parties get their role in this right. 
Ladies, sometimes when you hear this idea of subject or submit, it pushes everything inside of you to be like, I don't want that. But here's the thing is when you have a husband, when you have a husband that is loving you like Christ loved the church, that's what we're called to do, men. How did Christ love the church? He served. He put its needs above his. It elevated, it elevated that, them as a priority, even unto death on a cruel Roman cross. So before we want to shake our fist at God too quickly and oppose authority, recognize his design, his intent, and who are you responsible? Whose part are you responsible for in this? You're responsible for your part. Trust, it's again, trust exercise. I'm trusting God that he's gonna do a work in my spouse and uh, I'm just gonna do the part that's uh, before, before God that I've been called to do. And here he points to the reason, reasoning or rationale, most likely with a younger church, the intent of this so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. This is talking about a, a couple that's maybe within the body of Christ. Maybe the, the wife has embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but, this, but the husband never has. He's saying, this is how you're able to win them over. Why would that win them over? You think about that for a second? Well, you see this, this tension between leadership within the home has been in existence all the way since back in the ramifications of the fall. So this tension has been there since the beginning. If, wives, if you were to get this right, if that tension was put on the side and you're saying, you know what, I'm just going to submit to his leadership, man, can you imagine how that would cause them to take note? Whoa, what is going on here? What, what's, what, what's, what's, what transformation has happened in their life? He's saying that's the venue or that's the way to demonstrate grace to the, to the non-believing spouse. I recognize even in our church, there's quite a few people that they have one person that is following Jesus Christ, another that's not. I love the people that are just like, you know what, I'm gonna faithfully be there every Sunday. I'm gonna keep praying for my spouse. And here's the thing. He's saying the best strategy for reaching your spouse, does it say anything about them, about arguments or debating with them or presenting truth? What does it say? Maybe one without a word by the conduct of their wives. Submission has a lot of power as far as influencing the observer. So here's what he's called them to do. He's called them to do that, but then he goes a little bit further and pushes towards what should be prioritized in the life of a wife. What does it say there? What does it say not to focus the energy or attention on? Not on hair or jewelry or clothing. Now here, just to be clear, I'm not in uh, starting to uh, starting a, to boycott makeup. We're not going to be that church. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying what this points to is what should be prioritized, and it's the opposite of what our culture says should be prioritized. Ladies, you're bombarded every single day in the media with something else that will make you more beautiful. If you wear this perfume, then you'll have gold sparkles all over you. Like what in the world? Some of the, the media things, you're like, why did they all turn gold? Like it's, it's just weird stuff that our culture keeps saying that this is going to make you beautiful. Scripture says just the opposite. It says what makes somebody beautiful is what's going on on the inside. 
where, where they're at with the Lord, that's what's the lasting beauty. So many ladies are frustrated. Can I just speak for a second? Frustrated because the standard of beauty that's out there is unattainable physically. It's unattainable. But in this picture, he's saying that's not the priority. The thing that actually makes somebody beautiful has to do with the internals. So what are we prioritizing? Do we elevate that? I love being around the church even during the course of the week, man. You can show up here and there's this lady's Bible study, this thing happening, this event, uh, this breakfast that they're going to, this Bible study. I love that the ladies here elevate that as a priority. They take this section of scripture seriously. So that's the charges for ladies, the intent of that. It says to have a gentle and quiet spirit. Those are the same terms or same expression used in the Beatitudes, which I thought was kind of cool, which was a charge for everyone. But the picture of that, of being gentle and quiet spirit, doesn't mean you have to be silent in the corner, but it's this description of not being selfishly assertive or demanding one's own way. A better description might be power under control. Ladies, we do acknowledge that you have the power. And so this idea of power under control is a beautiful one described here in this section. Then it moves on, and we'll keep going just to wrap up. It moves on with a few charges for the men. Verse 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Anybody that's been married for any amount of time recognizes that this is a lifelong pursuit, trying to understand your wife, right? Can anybody agree with that? Like it's a lifelong pursuit. And maybe you've picked up a couple of things, but you haven't, men, you have not arrived yet. I can attest this from my own marriage. It doesn't happen quickly. You pick up, you learn, you think you've figured something out, and then you're like, no, I was wrong. Uh, that, that's changed. It's, it's a moving target. It's a, it's a, the truth is, the truth is this understanding thing is a lifelong pursuit, but it definitely won't happen without some intentionality trying to figure out how do they operate? What's, well, how, how does this work best? What's the best way to, 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 to meet their need? What's the best way to serve them? How can, I, how can I get to know them better? I don't understand why they did that, but here's, here's what I've learned. You know, it should be intended for us to live with them in an understanding way. I figured out a few things about my wife. I'll share one of them, them this morning. She's gonna, she's, I'm sure wondering what I'm gonna say about this. But um, I've realized that my wife has a tendency to say yes to everything as far as serving different people. Like she has a hard time putting boundaries in place. And so I'll pull her aside and I'll say, honey, you don't have to hand deliver a homemade meal to every new mother in the church. Like you can, you can stop at, at Taco Bell. That's the cheap side of me. And I'll pick something up, you know, like it's a <laughs> splurge, you know, McDonald's has these carryout packs. No, like, I'm just kidding. But uh, th this idea of, of challenging and encouraging her based on that understanding of her, because when she doesn't, then she, then it's hard. She gets, she gets burned out and running on empty. Husband Husbands, figuring out how your wife operates and adjusting based on that understanding. I did want to point out there, though, likewise, husbands, live with your wives. I think that in and of itself has something to be said. We're intended to be there. 
to be present. Living with your wife means that there's a degree that that's uh, been elevated, that you're choosing to prioritize them. Men, for us, that might make, mean some adjustments in the workplace. That might mean saying, hey, I got to figure out how to, how to get home and be more present with the family. What I've realized, men, is you'll never, ever have an employer in your life say, you know, Tom, you get enough time with the family? Are you, are you leaving early enough? Are you, you know, are you, are you creating enough margin? Is that you have to do that yourselves. You have to draw lines of what will be given and what will be taken. And here's the idea of that. That's part of this verse and that challenge for men as you're living with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Sometimes when uh, people read that, they're just like, oh, just cringe at that idea. Here, when it says the word weaker vessel, the picture of that was to be describing something that was precious. Anybody have some different items in your house that's maybe a, a porcelain or whatever that's like a really valuable, and when you handle it, what do you do? You gotta be real careful with it. You're not wanting to break that. It's not saying somebody is lesser. It's saying they're so valuable you have to handle in a manner that you're not going to damage that because they're precious and valuable in God's sight and should be in your sight since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. I love that it points to that, this idea that you're equal, but not the same. It's not a, a verses of suppression over women. We're both co-heirs. We're both under the same uh, exact position, both positionally the same before a perfect God. Last thing that it says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This idea that our prayers are actually affected by how seriously we take this mandate. If you're wondering why it feels like God's so distant and why there's not that connection there, maybe it starts with uh, working on the marriage, elevating that as a priority. All of these things, if you think about it, all, all three of these different arenas, government, workplace, marriage, all of those are a trust exercise submitting to the authority of God, bending the knee and saying, I'm gonna trust that what you're saying works best and think through it practically. When someone actually lives this out, when somebody with government says, you know what? I'm gonna be active. I'm gonna be involved. I'm gonna, uh, uh, with, with respect, I'm gonna engage. Man, they're able to put their head on the pillow at night with no regrets. There's a guy that's on my Facebook feed and I choose not to, uh, unfriend him just because I'm interested to what, anybody have this in your life? Because uh, I'm like, I just want to hear what he says uh, next. He's always like every 30 seconds, he's got some other like just hate, hate towards Trump, hate towards Trump, hate towards Trump. And I think about this poor guy. I'm tempted to send him a note and be like, man, that's going to actually tear, that's going to eat you up. That's going to eat you up. Man, I'll tell you what, the better approach, if you're not happy with the government, some in this room are like, man, I'm thrilled with it. I, that's not the point that I'm trying to make. I'm trying to say either way, when you elevate the wrong thing, when that becomes a, a priority, man, at the end of the day, that just beats up your soul. So what God calls us to is a life. He says that his burden is light. His yoke is easy for politics, as it relates to, to the workplace. Man, if we could leave some of the drama at the workplace and say, I just show up, I do what I'm supposed to do because I'm doing it as unto the Lord. That's the one coach I'm looking to. That's the life of an easy yoke, 
light burdens, a marriage where you're like, I don't know, this doesn't make sense to me why I'd submit to my knucklehead husband, but I'm gonna just keep on doing it as unto the Lord. This is the life that God invites us to, and it's a better way of living, just practically speaking. Hopefully something in this has maybe caught your attention, something that the the Spirit's maybe been nudging on. Uh, If not, I don't know what to tell you. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this chance to be in your word and how it's still applicable, applicable and practical and speaks to our current situation. God, I pray that you'd work in each one of us. Keep peeling off layers of self and are bent towards resisting authority. God, we acknowledge that we all have room to grow. I for sure am one that does. God, we want to be more like you. And in this passage, it describes what you're like. Not about your, what you have, do you, but instead to serve and to elevate others first. Pray that your Holy Spirit would do that work in our lives, God, that you would transform us more and more into your image. We invite that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. like that picture of waving the white flag. I'm done with this leadership thing. I'm turning over the reins to him. I pray we take steps towards that even going into the week ahead. God bless you. If there's something specific we can be praying for you about, we have a few volunteers up front. Otherwise, have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you.